everyone. Welcome back to an all new episode of the 20% podcast. This is the show where we bring you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you could implement in your current job today. This week's guest served as a top sales rep to founding companies in digital advertising, to working his way through, through rapidly growing SaaS companies like Hirewell, Lucid, and Workstream. But now he's taking those talents back to some of his early business and small business roots, um, which we're about to jump into here as well. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Mr. Blake Harbor to the 20% Podcast. Blake, we're finally doing this thing. Finally, man. It's a long time in the making. So we have been, we've both had some crazy seasons of our life, which we're we're jumping into, but now I think we're obviously we're in good enough spaces to jump in and have this awesome conversation. So um, we're really excited. As I, I briefly mentioned, you know, Blake's going to get into it as well. Some of the, uh, he's, he's all about super passionate about small businesses and finding ways outside of just that little SaaS bubble that a lot of us are in. There's actually ways to make money as well. But Blake, before we get into all of that stuff, let's set the stage with who you were as a kid and what some of those early years looked like. So tell me about some of the, who Blake was as a kid and what were some of those early years up until you, you went into the quote unquote professional world? Yeah, man. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I grew up around my, my parents were entrepreneurs. Uh, my dad grew up in Southern California. My dad started a construction company 40 years ago and, uh, started doing work for like Verizon and things like that. And they, they transitioned over the years and ended up in this like really specialized um, freeway demolition business that only a few people across the like Western US did and uh, ended up building a very successful small business. And I, I watched him go through that. My mom uh, also built like an adjacent business. So they even had some like shared services. Now I look back and I'm like, wow, he's genius. At the time I didn't know any different, but like, they, they had acquired a small concrete cutting business that was adjacent to the stuff that my dad was doing. And she ran that as an operator. And, um, you know, the irony is like, I, I come full circle, went from like the most high tech software sales to now, uh, those are the businesses I'm looking to acquire is the, the parent, the one that my parents sold along the way as well. And, um, anyway, so I, I always grew up, uh, watching them. And I remember, so I was, you know, 10, 11 years old and my friends were starting to like mow lawns for money. And I was like, I, I don't, that doesn't interest me. Like, I don't want to go make back then it was like five, six bucks an hour. That seemed crazy to me. And I had access to tractors. I'd grown up operating tractors my whole life. I mean, I was on a tractor at five years old, learning how to operate it. And, um, I thought like we used to living in Southern California, you'd get what's called weed abatement notices. So like if you had weeds on your property, you for fire hazards, you had to go knock them down every summer, come like usually springtime. And if you didn't, the city would send someone out on a simple tractor and they charge you a small fortune, uh, depending on how big the lot is. Like if it was an acre, they charged five or $600 to like knock down the weeds. And, and it probably took the guy an hour for, for an acre and they'd either mow it or like disc it. Right. And I looked at that even as a 12 year old and I was like, like, hell, I could do that. You know, I, I have the same tractor. I know how to operate it. And, uh, and so my, with the help of my parents, I spun up little business cards that were Blake's tractor service. And I just thought like, well, hell I'll go undercut the city. Like the city doesn't do it for revenue really. Like they just want it done for fire hazards. Otherwise the city gets fined. And, uh, so as a 12 year old, 
I, I knocked doors and handed out flyers for Boyce Tractor Service. Um, I had a deep voice at a really young age too. So I'll never forget, like, uh, I'd get phone calls and you know, I'd schedule these meetings. Like, hey, we need our, we need our backyard disc. Like, can, can you come take a look at it? Give me a quote. And so I'd be like, okay, cool. I'll come down three o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> and my mom would have to go drive me down and I'd show up and they'd be like, where's Blake? I'd be like, well, I'm Blake. And it's, I'm a little 12 year old kid. And, you know, give, give them a, a price on a $400, 400 bucks to like just their field. Right. And so anyways, I figured out like a really great way to scale that business. And that's literally all I did my whole like middle school and, and high school was, that was my career. And I mean, I made disgusting money doing it, like com relative to my friends, right? Like I could charge, I could charge $60 an hour for, as an operator of the tractor. And then like another hundred to $120 an hour for the tractor itself. And so I'd be making like 150, 100, 200 bucks an hour, uh, disking these fields and built up this clientele that was recurring. So every spring it would get crazy busy. And then in the off season, I would be knocking doors. And then I figured out like, I actually would partner with the city. Uh, I'd go to the city and they'd give me a list of like, here's all the people that are going to get notices. And, and then I'd go through and I'd cold call those. And then I'd send, you know, I wasn't sending emails, but like I'd send flyers, direct mail. Uh, to their house and built a killer little business at 12, 13, 14 years old. I did that until I was 18 years old and ended up selling that business um, at 18 years old. And I don't think it, I mean, it was small. Don't get me wrong. I think I made 20,000 bucks on it. But like as a, as a 17, 18 year old kid, like it was the best thing ever. Right. And I had no idea that like you could even sell businesses. And along the way, it just like made a small fortune learning how to like operate this thing. Um, and so, and that's kind of my, I guess, my first uh, experience into entrepreneurship. And um, what I loved about it more than anything was like, uh, the more doors I knocked, I knew I was just going to make more money. And, you know, I spent it like a stupid 16 year old and bought an F-150 and like lowered it and put 24 inch wheels on it for some reason, because that's what you do at 16. And <laughs> it was a cool thing back then. But like, anyways, um, yeah, so amazing experience, like doing that and, and learning that when we can dive into like, I'm trying to give that same experience to my kids, you know, the, yeah. the business we just bought. We'll, we'll talk about that later. I'm sure. But yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. There's so much to dive into just from this first portion alone. Um, number one, you, one of the big things that, that I'm seeing over and over again, which we'll tie nicely later to once we're, we're talking about how you're helping your kids, but like, had your parents not been entrepreneurs or taught you some of those things, whether you were just taking that knowledge in through osmosis of just being around there or actually starting to get implemented the fact that they knew they knew how to run businesses and even help you with the um just the business cards alone yeah. is a huge hurdle that had you not had them guiding you with some of that, then you would have never known that. So number one, I think it's really important. And almost every successful guest that we've had on the podcast, it has to do with something that they were doing in those early years. When you say not that much money for twenty thousand dollars for an 18-year-old is insane. But the, the more interesting thing, too, is that the skills that you develop during that time, you're still using today. So think about all the when we're talking about the and this is something that I'm really passionate about. It's talking about the experiences that we're gaining and the knowledge that we learn along the way is paying significantly higher dividends than what you would have otherwise. Right. You took this. You could have been comparing you to your friends. You could have been making that six dollars, but you're making 200, let's say, instead of that six dollars. The question I have for you is that I think a lot of people 
or maybe you're not thinking big enough to be able to take that outside of the, having the resources or the tractors and all of the equipment, which is really important. But I think from a bigger picture perspective, what's your best piece of advice on thinking bigger or maybe not trying to limit yourself to that $6 an hour mindset versus the 200 that you actually did make? Yeah, I think, um, and, and I'm sure we'll dive into this, but like, I think this comes back to, um, I've become such a huge fan of business ownership. The, this, the sky's the limit. And um, there, there's so much opportunity out there in owning 100% of your own business. And I, I've done that a few different times, obviously do that now. I also spent 10 years you know, working for other people. And, um, and now kind of like going through that, I think it gave me so much context now on business ownership again, because I think if honestly, honestly, I took it for granted, like growing up, right. I, I sold two businesses by the time I was 23 years old. And the first one was a tractor business. But I also like, I think it's important to call out, I was very fortunate to be number one, I didn't buy the tractor. I'm, you know, that's probably a $25,000 asset that like, I was, I could just use because my dad had access to it. Right. I had parents that have this experience, right? That like, I, I didn't know any different. And I recognized that like, I was so privileged to have those two things alone and to have context and to even think and be surrounded by um, the mindset of like, hey, I can go create something from nothing. And I, I've, I've known so many people that didn't have that upbringing. And it's unfair to say like, well, just because they didn't go get it doesn't mean uh, they're, not, they're not hustling enough or whatever. Like I have, I've been really fortunate to be raised with that view. And understanding that like there there's kind of unlimited possibility out there to to go create money and i i was fortunate to just have that lens growing up um even my wife wasn't raised like that right and so like us now being married and uh working on these businesses together it's interesting because she's the typical like great cfo type that can manage the budgets really tightly and i'm just like well yeah we'll just go make more money though and uh, it, it's a great pairing uh, in a business relationship because she keeps me tied on the budget and then I, uh, which I don't watch very well and can't manage too very well. And then I can go figure out how to make more money. But um, yeah, I think, I think ultimately like business ownership is, is probably one of the best paths to financial independence and, um, and people just got to start somewhere and it's hard. And, but in reality, like, with the with the opportunities that we have available maybe we weren't raised by parents that were entrepreneurs and got a free tractor but like there's plenty of people out there that have gone through this and have a similar experience to you and now we have linkedin and uh way easier ways to collaborate and connect and you can find mentors that can help guide you through that process yeah no absolutely and and uh, obviously you're you've been a great mentor to, to me even in the the short time frame that we've um we've known each other but i think it's really important to understand hey in Blake's situation, he had access to this tractor. He had access to his parents' knowledge. Just because you don't have that necessarily, or because maybe you don't own a tractor or maybe your parents are entrepreneurs, but what do you have access to and where are your interests? Then ultimately what you'd be able to do is then try to tie that into, well, how could I make revenue from that? And then that's where Blake's creativity came into that. And then being able to help with that too. Now, I think the other interesting thing too, Blake, is that you're, you're smart and obviously us analyzing your your past uh, it just shows us where we're at now but like you're learning 
effective partnerships, right? With the with, you were partnering with the the community or the local government, whatever that was. It's achieving a goal for them, and it's it's expending less resources for their budgets, but ultimately they just want it to be done. So if it wasn't revenue generating, so you knew what the goals were, I guess, of your partnership and how to maximize that. And then on top of that, you're doing that like account-based marketing of the, the sending the flyers specifically to them all to increase sales. I think your mini example of, you know, obviously I'm talking in more SaaS terms, but really when you're breaking down some of these smaller businesses and, and Blake's smiling ear to ear here, when we're, when we're talking for those listening, because there's so many parallels between what he was doing from those early years into what he did from the SaaS years and now what he's doing back. So Blake, as we're continuing moving forward, or before we even talk about that, I think it's interesting. Um, we have some similarities here too. My dad's in construction and he I did side work with him all on the weekends and to make money and to work with customers. And that same building of, you said, it's so cool to see something go from nothing to something. And that's that's what I love most about doing construction or renovation work or something like that because you see you physically see something that where it was before and where it is today. We don't always get that same level of quote unquote satisfaction when we're selling, unless depending on what our product is, right? Um, but I think it's really interesting there. I think that building aspect. A lot of people, whether they were Lego kids or their parents were in construction or something, they see a level of that satisfaction. Now, what did you take from some of that big chunk of those early years? And I'll bucket the rest of your experience of those that ten years in SaaS. What were some of the biggest lessons that you took from those early years into your um, regular sales roles, I guess, and then ultimately working your way up to the VP level as well? Yeah. Um... I think as you described that, what I thought, and I think one of the pattern recognition things I, I, I learned early on was find a gap and, and insert yourself in that gap. And in, in the tractor example from growing up, I recognize that like the city, it was work that they didn't want to do. And it wasn't necessarily generating revenue for them, but they also didn't want to get fined um, for, for having their, their city limits that could catch on fire. and uh, and then property owners had no resources or means to necessarily knock down an acre of, of weeds on their property or time. And when I recognized, I, I remember going back and thinking all the time, even at a young age, like, interesting, there's a huge gap. Neither person wants to solve it or deal with it. Great. I, I'll come in and solve that. I could fix that. And as I look back over the last decade of, of my career, that's really all, whether I'm looking for a job, whether I'm buying a business, whether I'm starting a business, it all kind of parlays into this, like where, where's there a gap and where can I help solve a problem in that gap? Uh, and consulting, that, I mean, that's kind of the catalyst of all this over the last 12 months that I've been doing. Uh, there's such a huge gap between founders in early stage B2B SaaS companies and building a go-to-market engine that's repeatable and scalable. And I have seen that multiple times. And I thought 12 months ago when I decided, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this and, and try and just build a consulting business. Um, there's a huge, huge gap there. And I help solve that gap now. Uh, as I look to acquire businesses now, I'm looking at even the business fundamentals itself. And a lot of these are 10 plus year old business, but I'm looking at it through the lens of like, okay, what gaps can I fill in this company that can take it to the next level 
and grow top line EBITDA, of course, but like the experience I've learned over 10 years of building these high growth SaaS companies, can I apply those same resources and time and learnings uh, into this small business that's been around for 35 years? Right. I think that that's so interesting of the, you know, and I think that's, you're figuring out if you're the right solution for that. It's right. You're, you're trying, you want to be that bridge between where they're at right now into where they ultimately want to go. Um, but I think that it's really interesting too, that much like when you're selling, because let's face it, I, you know, we've all worked in roles where we weren't interested in with the thing that we were selling and that passion actually comes through. And I'm sure even from a small business perspective, it is as well. I think it's so important to figure out then besides in this needs analysis, is this a problem that I actually want to solve or that I'm interested in? What Do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. Just speaking to like business acquisition, um, you know, I, I, I made my first acquisition about 35 days ago. Uh, we own and operate 23 vending machines now. And it was a great like entry into small business acquisitions. Um, but when I, when I, when I started doing due diligence on this, on this business, I, I, quickly recognize like technology and just like from an operational standpoint, some really simple and vending is so simple. It's so simple. <laughs> and it was, it's kind of why I wanted to do the deal. Cause it, it would cut my teeth on like build, helping me build confidence. I'm like, okay, I have this hypothesis that not only if I acquired this existing route of 13 machines, but I'm going to acquire an asset only purchase of 10 new machines in this vending business, uh, from this other guy that I got connected to. I acquired 10 new ones. And if I just put those existing machines in existing locations I already have, it will stabilize the route to a point where a machine only has to get filled like once every 14 days. And so now all of a sudden the workload that, that the previous owner was doing on a week, week basis, it was like 20 hours a week or more on filling vending machines. And don't get me wrong, still great money. I mean, things going to net 75 K a year on 20 hours a week. I think anybody would like want to do that job. Of course. Um, but now we've got it to where it's probably 10 hours, maybe less a week of, of our, my wife and I's time uh, for 75K a year, just by simply acquiring additional assets, putting some better operations in place, implementing a little bit of software. Um, and the thing just makes money, regardless of what the economy's doing. It's just vending. I mean, I'm just selling candy, man. It's not like anything crazy cool. But, um, you know, so I, so I, I look at that, I actually just went under contract on a second acquisition. This one's much bigger, very different industry. Um, but I'm looking at it through the same lens of like, okay, this is a 38-year-old business um, that at one point has scaled to 15 million of revenue. And then the owner scaled it back down and just kind of made it a lifestyle business for 15 years. And I, I think there's a huge opportunity to build a go-to-market motion around this, a lean one, I'll be that, um, and scale revenue and think you'd be doing a million a year of EBITDA in the next two or three years. See, that's amazing too. And I'd love to hear your, your thought process on it. And it's like the, when, when you told me, you know, and, and Blake and I were texting last night about this, he said, you know, oh, I'm getting a second business and I'm thinking, okay, he already, he has one solo, but he has the new business that he just acquired. He's, he just started 12 months ago, almost 12 months ago doing the consulting, which is crazy to hear because we were talking right as you were just starting that business. So to hear 12 months is, is crazy. But um, so you're doing the consulting work that you're do helping these SaaS companies build and scale while ultimately doing this vending machine business where um, your kids are helping with as well and ultimately bringing this other thing. How do you have the time to do all of this as well? I heard you already say this is the time investment, 10 hours a week, 20 hours a week. 
how do you budget your time around, you know, because we're most, most people are used to the, I'm working 40 hours a week to make X, but you have more of the mindset of, well, I'm able to make X revenue and this is approximately how I'm going to do this. And maybe I could learn how to scale this or do it this way or that way. But how do you think about your time organization and how much, how, how much does that go into the acquisition of businesses as well? Because your goal, no, what I know about you, and I don't want to take too many words out of your mouth. Um, your goal is to be able to spend your time how you want to and spending more time with those kids in the beautiful Utah mountains that you live in. How do you, how do you do all of that? Yeah. Um, the businesses I look at acquiring, I mean, consulting, I can't outsource consulting. Like I, I have thought heavily, could I, could I scale a team around this, which I totally could have. I, I ultimately chose not to, because I, the whole goal was like, I wanted, I need to diversify my income outside of tech only. And you and just hours, because that's a finite, that's finite, right? That's exactly right. And like, yes, I could have built a consulting engine and like a team around this, but my, my entire net worth is then going to be tied up in like tech. And that's it. And uh, all my, all my stocks, like my, my day-to-day income, a business that I've already scaled. And I feel very fortunate I've done that, but also like, I, I mean, yes, I'm an entre- entrepreneur, but I'm, I'm very risk averse. Ultimately, I'm like, I, I need to like diversify my income across multiple industries so that if all of a sudden tech dies and venture capital is not getting poured into small businesses and they can't hire me anymore, then what? Like ha- that's ultimately what I'm trying to build is a portfolio of highly profitable businesses across uh, multiple industries to, to then if I get laid off, which, you know, I had an experience of like getting cut off of LinkedIn and that was ultimately my version of getting laid off was like, they, they shut my link off for 10 days and I, I was out of business. I mean, that's my whole business is where my leads come from, my inbound, my audience, everything. And it's like, now all of a sudden that's gone. And I realized, I don't, I don't know if I could consult anymore. And I had that epiphany was like, I need, I can't, I can't have all, everything tied to one industry, one income, one employer. And so that was like, I think the big aha moment for me. And the way I look at all these businesses that I'm, looking to acquire and scale is like, could, could I step away from these relatively quickly? I mean, vending, I could hire an operator in there next week. And honestly, it could be a hundred percent passive and still net 60 K a year. I I'm not like quite ready for that. And honestly, my wife and kids are running it and they love it. They enjoy it. Uh, ask me in a year and I'm sure we'll, we'll have outsourced it at that point. Um, at the same time, like looking to scale it, I have a working on a contract that could add over a hundred machines. Uh, right now, which is why I ultimately bought this route. And if I get it to that point, then I'll just hire an operator in full time to do that. Um, the business I just went into contract yesterday on, same thing. Like it's a one man operation with two part time employees. And I've already looked at what the one man operation plus the two, two part time do. I already have this that built into kind of like shared services across my other businesses because ultimately it's like one of them's bookkeeping. Well, I've already got that right. So like I I could kind of part ways there roll that into my existing businesses and have somewhat of a shared back office to support the other companies that I'm building here. And, um, and as an operator, I can come in and run the day to day, but it's a business where I feel really confident about outsourcing the majority of the work and meaning to anyone, if I just want to bring a contractor and I've been really fortunate to hire over 200 people here in Salt Lake, like I have a deep network of people that we would love to, I would love to work with them again. And, you know, this provides me an opportunity to run a really lean team and continue to work with people I enjoy. 
That's that is so fantastic. The big takeaways that I had from that portion is these this nightmare of a situation of of being kicked off of LinkedIn. The LinkedIn sounds like it was the catalyst to a lot of change and a lot of thinking. So at that point, I think another lesson is that even when we're going through situations that we think are really terrible at the time, like try to keep that positive mindset going through. And I'm sure I could say to you right now, like your mindset, Blake, I couldn't imagine a positive week, dude. It was not a good week. (laughs) I wish we had a recording of when you found out you were blocked from LinkedIn, because I'm sure it was not a pretty situation, but we could laugh at it now because we're like, wow, that was actually the catalyst to, life-changing and for your kids life-changing too, because now they're starting to learn all of this and they're getting some of that early year or early experience that you got. You know, I was the joking part of my brain while you were saying, uh, you know, maybe I'll I'll do outsource it in another year. I'm thinking, well, maybe your kid, maybe your 12 year old will be able to run that business at that point. Right. Like (laughs) you don't know. Um, So it's, it's Blake's tractor company coming, coming full cycle here. Um, But I think it's the other interesting thing, thing too, is that, you 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 know you said that 15k difference of hey this is what we can net of that 75 to 60 by outsourcing but to what detriment are you doing that it's the future development of your children and some of the skills that they're going to get yep. when you look at it from a skill mindset would you sell you that that experience for your kids and that learning and that experience that could change their life for $15,000 for the course of that year versus the knowledge that they wouldn't take for that yep. yeah i think it goes without even saying the answer right yeah, the vending business is great. I mean, it's it's ultimately a side hustle for us. And and to your point, like I, the irony is I get to make money, but I would have I would acquire it if it made it no money because frankly, my kids are they love it. They my my nine year olds like and eight year old are looking at like here's what we buy a Coke can at, and and they can walk through the store at this point and be like, hey, that one's thirty three cents a can now. Like we should pick up a bunch instead of. 45 cents a can. You know what I mean? It's like they're understanding margins already and they're 98 years old. And I'm like, that was, that was the, the opportunity I had growing up. And if, if this thing didn't make any money, it probably wouldn't even matter because like that is like countless experience for them that they will carry the rest of their life. And honestly, it's so funny how I've met so many people already. They're like, my dad owned three vending machines growing up and we got to start, you know, it's like, I want those experiences. I want my kids to be able to tell those stories growing up. Yeah. And how about this one too? Because like, I've noticed like in my, cause I think it's a goal, you know, obviously with COVID and everybody was like disconnected with maybe their neighbors or their local area and that community. And we all went to LinkedIn and all of these areas, which thank God we've had this stuff so that we could continue to develop relationships. You and I wouldn't be talking from across the United States without it. Um, however, it's also a goal. And it sounds like you're, you're meeting a lot more of these people in your local communities as well. Um, so I think that that's another, you know, like you think about that, you know, when I'm walking around with my kids, I'm, I learned that we have a college professor down the street or the, the person across the street owned a, a bed and breakfast. The people down the street have a catering business, right? The next, the next one over, over next street over, over opens up a, they have a family owned business. Like there's so much, it's so cool to be able to meet some of these other people around you that you wouldn't have met either. How how is that? Is that been? I know that's not your primary goal, but that's also a benefit of working with smaller businesses in local in your community. How has that benefited your situation? Actually, it's been really fun. To your point, like I I didn't expect that um, uh, as necessarily an outcome, but like you know, I meet people now, and well, number one, my goal is to talk less about business because I have a problem with it. Um, but uh, <laughs> so, and my wife and I talk about it all the time. But 
I mean, it's very natural, right? And I, I now have like a good enough understanding of an HVAC company because I've looked at so many of them, their P&Ls and the details of, a, of those businesses. I, I'm not going to pretend I have any clue how to operate one, but I could, I could hold a pretty solid conversation with now a, a, an owner of an HVAC business down the street. And like, those are really fun. And I think, it, I think people are genuinely interested because a lot of times, especially in their business, they want to talk about their business. And if all of a sudden I'm some random guy that was in tech, but, but I can hold a normal conversation about their HVAC company and how they're thinking about scale and what are they doing to grow the business or what challenges are they running into? Like that's equally interesting to me because I'm viewing it from the lens of like, maybe this guy wants to sell this thing a little bit or something. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then we can have a great conversation and, and like, I could be very interested in what's going on in their life. And it comes, it comes down to finding a good partnership there too. It's like you're building relationships. The, the relationships that you build in your community could become business relationships or partnerships or something. I know my, my good friend, um, Larry Levine, I don't know if you know him selling from the heart. Um, he has the, everybody goes into the relationship funnel. Any person you meet goes into the relationship funnel. You have a relationship funnel and a business funnel. Some people will go from the relationship funnel over to the business funnel, and then you could do whatever business you need, but that funnel still goes both ways. So you could still take them from that business funnel. And if the business goes great and you continue that relationship, great. If the business doesn't go well, you could still come back over here and we could still be friends. So I think having that same type of personality and that relationship um, is huge in the local businesses. And it gets me super excited to have conversations like this. Now, you've obviously learned a ton of business acumen or even with that HVAC person, you have an HVAC person come into your house and you're able to ask some of these other questions based upon it as well. So you can, you're, you're becoming a more informed buyer in your own life. If you already didn't meet somebody who could do the work for you for a discount or whatever, like there's so many benefits from that. Tell me how, you know, tell me how you would go. I mean, you, you started this, uh, you know, this business, um, acquisition on a small scale right now. You said with yeah. the, Hey, I want to start dip my toes in the water. You're a risk adverse person. What's your best piece of advice for somebody who wants to start maybe bringing in another source of income or do some of those things off the side of their desk to build some of those small business chops? What, what advice do you have there? Yeah, maybe two separate pieces of advice. Number one, um, uh, you could, you could even start how I did now, to be fair, I, I wouldn't recommend how I did it. I quit my job hung out with my family for four months uh, and then decided instead of going back and getting a job, I was going to start a company like that. Don't recommend that because you can do it while you have a normal job. Um, and, I, and I'm always a huge fan of like sell what you've learned because there's plenty of people out there that don't have 10 years in doing exactly what you're doing or what your specialty is. And there's a, such a gap in opportunity to be able to sell those services a fraction of the cost of what it would take someone to go out and hire someone full time. Uh, B2B tech is my context. And that's like mostly all I know. So, you know, selling my services of building a go-to-market engine at an early stage company with founders that have never done it before. Most of them are engineers that have built software and now they have to go sell or God forbid, hire a salesperson. That's so hard. And it's like secondhand nature to me. So I'm helping bridge a gap there. Uh, Tower, you have a ton of experience selling and building account management teams. Like, like that's a gap for so many people out there. And there's an opportunity for you to build a side hustle, doing some consulting or advisory work. And it's not that, I shouldn't say it's not that, not that difficult. Like we have a network of 
LinkedIn now where all these people are every single day. And I think you'd be surprised at how often uh, early stage founders outsource that. So I, I would always say like, start with selling what you know, start with selling what you've learned and you are an expert in something. There's an opportunity to package that up in a way and deliver that as services. The best part about service business is your margins are going to be like 99, 98%, right? You don't, don't even need a website. Don't, don't build a damn website. You don't need one. You don't even have a business. So like build an email, go find, find the gap you're going to solve, write an email, go find 10 close trusted people and go email them and say, Hey, I've got an extra 10 hours a month that I'm going to dedicate to solving this for this type of person. Do you happen to know anybody? I almost guarantee you can find a customer like that. And then you got to figure out like, if you get someone on the hook, great. Then go figure out how to like piece and uh, package and price it together. And like you've gone through all that, I'm building a course around it. Happy to give your, 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 uh, extended discount to like all of your listeners. But, um, I've had this question so many times the last nine months. It went from zero to $40,000 a month in revenue in my business in like 90 days. And, uh, I think most of it, well, yes, I, like my expertise is like, I can trade that for time, but anyone could, I think anyone could sell their expertise online. It doesn't have to be $40,000 a month, but hell, I think people would be stoked to make $2,000 a month by selling their time, uh, offline and, and, uh, being able to do that. So I think that's like a really, really great place to start. Number one, um, obviously business acquisition or entre entrepreneurship through acquisition is, is a hot topic right now. I mean, everybody follows Cody Sanchez. I shouldn't say every, most people follow Cody Sanchez. If you don't, you should follow her. She literally, all she talks about is buying businesses and operating them. Uh, and I think she's done a great job of opening the eyes of, of what is out there, what's available to, uh, to be able to make, replace your income in tech. I, I had this view on tech salaries. I just thought like, you make so much money so fast at such a young age. I just didn't think it was possible to make $150,000, $200,000 a year doing anything else. And honestly, I've been, I've proven myself wrong. I'm almost embarrassed to say, like, I had no clue that someone running an HVAC business could make two, three, four, half a million a year. Some, some of them are doing a million plus a year in spring home. And they're not huge businesses, but they're just run really well. And I had no clue. I, I just didn't think that was even possible, let alone the enterprise value of the business itself uh, that you could own. So um, I think I've taken the approach of like, I'm very risk averse. All the podcasts out there you listen to, you know, you have these private equity guys that are Harvard freaking geniuses going out buying five, six, seven million dollar companies. And I'm like, dude, my wife and I don't hold any debt. I don't feel comfortable taking a, a loan on hardly anything. We don't have loans. And I look at that and think like the, the vending thing was a great opportunity for me to, to do a, I did a cash purchase. I, it was really low, low barrier of entry for me. I, I'm just a normal guy that like is trying to analyze deals by myself in my tiny ass office. And, uh, it was a great way to cut my teeth. This one, I just went under contract in. It's a lot bigger. I mean, a lot bigger It's relative. A PE guy would probably say like, oh, it's small chips. I don't really care. It's a $1.2 million business, but like, I, it's still scary for me. I still like, don't know what I don't know. I'm still learning it. And it's why I've, I document it live. I'm, I'm willing to share all my learnings. And if I shit the bed on these deals and like, you'll know about it first. And, uh, I <laughs> learned from me. Yes. Uh, it's I, my way of like easing into it. 
I love that. And I love that you're sharing that. And, and if you're not following um, Blake's newsletter, he, he shares his like, I love his quarterly reports of like, not even afraid to say where, where his his um his money's coming in and just the ways that he's sharing online is just unbelievable. Now, final question before uh, we talk about where else people could find you outside of this course that you're building um, to help people with acquisitions and businesses and starting their own business. If you were teaching a college 101 class based upon everything that you've learned, um, your previous work and life experience, what would you teach and why? Um, I would I would teach hands-on entrepreneurship. Like I, I would love to design a course and, and I think, think about this often, actually, uh, I would love to teach a class that, uh, is more of an internship, come in and shadow an entrepreneur, uh, of an industry or something that you're, you're interested in, in potentially doing and learn the hands-on experience, do the work, do the work with them and for them. And, um, I would love to design curriculum and an experience around that because ultimately it's how I learned. I mean, I went to lunch yesterday with uh, a small a CEO of a private equity group that's acquired three businesses in the last 12 months. And I literally told him like, let me come shadow you. I want to see how you're structuring some of your funds and like how you're fundraising and do, get, getting private equity. Like just I'll work for free. Let me just try. And I feel very lucky to have the time and emotional energy. Not everybody has that, but the same way I would have learned in college if I went to college, I would be doing it now. I'm just doing like, this is my, what I'm calling my Harvard MBA uh, in real time is how I'm learning. I'm buying businesses. I'm going to give it a shot. Hopefully it works out. I'm going to make a good bet, I hope. But like, we'll see. And I know. know about it. And you're not afraid to fail along the way, which is one of the biggest things. Blake, we're right up on time. Where could people learn more about you and everything you have going on? Yeah, LinkedIn's the best way. I can't really get messages anymore because I think I've hit my limit or something. Uh, but you can always email me. It's just me at blakeharber.com, H-A-R-B-E-R.com, or my Substack, stack uh, where I document all of my income journey learnings all live. Uh, it's just blakeharber.substack.com. And I will make sure to link to those in the show notes as well. Blake, thank you so much. Thanks, Tower. It's fun, man. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.